In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Twenty years ago, we planted a dwarf apple tree in our backyard. It survived a couple of backyard renovations. It's a hybrid apple tree. This means that there's been some grafting and what I call treological things that Nina would understand that I have no idea what it means that have happened to this tree. And as a result, more than one kind of apple is produced. Nina says we get Golden Delicious, Granny Smith, Jonathan, and others. Some of the apples appear to be ripe and delicious. After we cut them open, a worm or some other ruination is evident. As a child, I remember my father describing people's characters saying, he's a good apple, or stay away from him, he's a bad apple. <laughs> Jesus tells his listeners that people can be different on the inside than they present on the outside. They may look healthy and ripe, but inside they are full of worms. He stretches the understanding of those listening. Jesus tells them that their holiness must be more than that of the scribes and Pharisees. On the outside, there wasn't anyone more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees. If the scribes and Pharisees weren't good enough, who was? The scribes were experts who wrote and interpreted the law. The Pharisees evolved from the scribes and became the keepers of the law. There's no record of Pharisees in the Old Testament. It's believed that they became a sect after the captivity. In the time following the captivity, many of the Jews returning to Israel wanted to separate themselves from the practices of their captors. In the book of Ezra we read, Then the children of Israel, who had returned from the captivity, ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. God has always called his people to be sanctified or separate. The term Pharisee comes from the Hebrew word for separate. Following the captivity, after years of being influenced by foreign practices, the Pharisees were types of heroes who helped preserve the beliefs and traditions of God's people in a very trying time. The Pharisees kept the law and encouraged the Jewish people to do the same. They were the strictest sect among the Jews. As time passed, they became known for their strict adherence to the minutiae of the law. Their problem was that in focusing on the minutiae, they missed the main point. They missed the main point so much that Jesus took them to task when he said, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. How did the Pharisees devolve from heroes to hypocrites? They became bad apples because they neglected the weightier, weighter, weightier matters of the law, the matters of the heart, and contented themselves with the lesser matters. The Jewish teachers had taught that nothing except actual murder was forbidden by the Sixth Commandment. 
Jesus continued to stretch his listeners' understanding by expanding the interpretation of the law to include the condition of the heart more than outer behavior. Both anger and murder result from the same condition of the heart. So each one becomes equally wrong in God's eyes. The word raka is a scornful word and comes from inner pride. The Jewish people were not allowed to use insults amongst each other. If they used the word raka, which lowered the value of the other person, they could be called before the Sanhedrin in the council. The word fool comes from hatred. The word fool is not the way we meant it, but in that time it was almost condemning someone to eternal punishment, or, or um, that does it, eternal punishment. Jesus taught the full meaning of the commandment and that all rash anger is heart murder. Has it always been this way? Earlier in this chapter, Jesus declared, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. God has always been concerned with the condition of our heart. In Psalm 51 we read, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah, exhorting his people to practice true religion when he made the distinction between religious practice, outer worship versus true inner worship. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart. Just as sacraments are an outward and visible sign of inward and spiritual divine grace, true worship comes from the heart and becomes evident in our actions. The movement from true inner focus worship to outer presentation is subtle, progressive, and fatal. It is subtle because it can happen even when our intentions are good. It is progressive because it happens in mostly imperceptible steps over time. It is spiritually fatal when the focus becomes completely external. It is spiritually fatal when the acts of obedience emanate from the self rather than the heart touched by and changed by the Spirit of God. The antidote to this poison of the heart is surrender and commitment. Surrendering the innate human desire for control can be difficult, even though it is only the illusion of control that we are giving up. Commitment to this surrender, even when it doesn't feel good, is crucial. It requires us to remember that God is God, even when we don't feel it. It requires us to persevere over time. If we focus on our interior rather than our exterior, we can experience true religion. To make this kind of change requires an understanding of who God is and who we are in relation to God. People come to therapy to make changes, and the hardest part to watch is them trying to give up the things that they hold on to that no longer bring the desired results. Even though their deepest desire is to connect with others, they repeat patterns that drive, away, drive people away because they're afraid to let them near. They can never experience emotional intimacy 
the one thing they want because they are truly afraid of the vulnerability required to experience this emotional intimacy. As Christians, we desire intimacy with God, but if we are afraid of vulnerability, our fear will keep us from experiencing real intimacy with God. Holding on to the need for the illusion of self-control has caused people to eat forbidden fruit, kill a brother in a fit of rage, sleep with another man's wife, and have him killed to hide the sin, spend some time inside the belly of a whale, and crucify the living God. The list can go on, but the point is evident. St. Paul wrote in our epistle today, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Living by rule, experiencing God daily and praying the offices, morning and evening prayer faithfully, alone and in community, experiencing personal prayer, partaking in regular communion, practicing confession, and experiencing the community of believers provides a basis for living in surrender and commitment. In the next few minutes, we will have the opportunity to truly and earnestly repent of our sins. We will experience communion, the outward sign of God's inward grace of the body and blood of Christ. Through this grace, we receive forgiveness of our sins, the strengthening of our union with Christ and one another, and the foretaste of the heavenly banquet, which is our nourishment in eternal life. As St. John wrote, The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.